you, brother. I so enjoy being. Isn't it an amazing thing how God has his people all over the place? Isn't it great? I'm a Georgia boy originally. Went out to Idaho and planted a church, and God's done a great work there. Just amazing. They're having church there while we're having church here. And then come to Rapid City, and uh, boy, we're just enjoying. We were able to climb Crazy Horse yesterday at the Volks March, I think they called it. We got in on that, and Friday, we went up to the top of Bear Butte, and I found out it's not actually a butte, it's a mountain. You get in, you go through the gate that says Bear Butte, and when you get inside, they say, this is not a butte, it's a mountain. We'll change your sign. But anyhow, uh, we've just had a great time. We had a great time. I, I, I've got a motorcycle, an Indian motorcycle I like to ride, so we went to Sturgis at the only time of the year you can go there, evidently, so we didn't, you know, I'm, it's sort of like buying a T-shirt that says Las Vegas. You know, it's not really where you want to be identified with. So if you, you buy a T-shirt and say Sturgis, is Pastor, you went to Sturgis? No. So I, I had to skip the T-shirt with Mount Rushmore on it that says Sturgis 2021. But anyhow, we've had a great time. Went to Deadwood yesterday and went back through the, um, the shooting and the trial of, of Wild Bill. It was very difficult for me not to jump Jack McCall, who was the coward that shot him. And I'm a history buff. My daughter is the head of a history department there at a Christian school in Idaho. So we're just soaking all this in. We've been to Little Bighorn and, and uh, have just enjoyed that. So what a beautiful place. And if the place wasn't beautiful, I mean, if there was nothing here, no Black Hills, no history, no anything to come see, what a governor. You know what I'm saying? What a governor. I'd come just for the governor, you know? And just to spend my money at a place that didn't uh, crush the economy. So I want to tell you, Christy Gnome's loved all over the nation. She is. And, and uh, people are talking about, you know, her being on a ticket with DeSantis from Florida. And I'm saying, don't go to D.C. Stay in South Dakota, you know. That's what I'd do if I were her. But I'm glad to be here. I love you, Pastor. Appreciate him. What an honor it is for me to be here and and uh, to be able to preach to you today, I'm looking forward to, to uh, today and tonight. And Brother um, uh, just brought a great message this morning uh, in, our, in the Sunday school hour, and, and uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm going to sort of go along those same lines, and I, I just felt like the Lord leading in that direction and uh, going to pray for uh, Brother DeGarmo, uh, you know, being deployed and things like that, and I, I guess some others in the church also. I want to just thank you for your service and appreciate that, and uh, what, a, what a sacrifice, and yet the freedom that we have, uh, we're beneficiaries of their sacrifice, and we're, we're very grateful for that. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 11 is where we're going to be this morning. Hebrews chapter number 11. And uh, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to make some opening comments, and then we're going to uh, get right into what we do. Let's read our scripture first, and in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 32. Now, this is this is what's called what we call the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter number 11. I taught through this chapter with our people uh, one time, and I, I asked them to imagine being in the the football hall of fame or any type of hall of fame where you go down the corridor and there are different booths, different sections, different, different uh, busts of, of great players and great people. And, 
And, and as you begin this, you find this hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It starts out and talks about the, uh, the faith of Abel and then the faith of Enoch and Noah. And then it talks about, of course, Abraham. We'll talk about him tonight. And, and, and then it, it mentions Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and, and, and actually Moses' parents and, and Joshua and Israel and Rahab. I, I'll be honest with you. As we, as we go down this corridor in this chapter, we're a little bit surprised at some people that are here. There's some faces that we find in the hall of faith that we would not expect to be there. And what that tells me is simply this. It tells me that God uses imperfect people. Amen. And man, am I so glad for that. Because if, it, if, if God didn't use imperfect people, I wouldn't be standing where I am today. In fact, the reality of the matter is every single one of us, we're a testimony that God uses imperfect people. And I'm glad. I praise God for that. And then, and then he begins to get into some general um, illustrations of this faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. Let's begin reading there. And what more shall I say? And what shall I say more shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not uh, accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise for God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, help us today, I pray, and open our hearts. I pray you would give us the very things that we have need of. I pray that you would speak to each and every heart here. Thank you for... Um, uh, Brother DeGarmo's uh, lesson this morning and, and the foundation, Lord, the truth that was there. And I pray that today, however, that you would bless and work in this message. We'll give you glory and praise for it. We love you and uh, thank you for the privilege of being here. Bless Brother Brooks and his family. Give them a wonderful time of refreshment and relaxation and uh, bring them back here, Lord, uh, refreshed and and uh, ready to lead on. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. When my children were young, one of the things that we loved doing, we would uh, rent a movie out from the library or, or something like that. We'd get some uh, popcorn and we'd enjoy uh, a movie night. We watched, you know, Old Yeller and uh, Davy Crockett and, and some of those classics, you know, and uh, I, I love that. Uh, how many of you love Davy Crockett? Okay, you ought to. He helped write the book of Hebrews. I, I, maybe possible. But, but anyhow, I, uh, we, it was all, always something wrapped up in one of those old classic movies, Swiss Family Robinson or, or something like that. And after we would watch it, we would, we would rate it. 
And so we would go around the room and we would talk about, boy, that was unbelievable. That was a great one, you know. And so, you know, like old Yeller, it was rated a herring classic. Now, it really had to be good to hit that level, okay? Some were bombs, some were, yeah, that's all right, that was okay. But if it was really good, all the kids would vote, then they would look to me and I would officially declare it as a herring classic. <clears throat> that means we would watch it again. And, and, and my family, if you could get all six of my children up here, they would tell you, Dad's a happy ending guy. He likes the movie where, you know, the guy wins the battle, marries the girl, they live happily ever after, and everything is just absolutely great. If it had it my way, <clears throat> we would reintroduce the guillotine for people that made movies with bad endings. Okay, it's just, <clears throat> it's horrible. It's horrible. And even though Old Yeller was rated as a classic, for years I held deep grudges against the guy that wrote into it that he got rabies and had to be put out. What kind of a sicko would write something like that? I mean, that's demented. <clears throat> also, if I wrote Davy Crockett, he would not have died. I don't care what happened in real life. He's not dying in my movie, okay? So <clears throat> I'm, a happy, I'm a happy ending guy. Because of my inclination toward happy endings, I had my life all painted in bright colors. I mean, it was all going to be great. It was, I mean, it was just happy faces, happy colors, happy life. And plan A was in absolute full swing. It, it was in high gear and life was good on all, all fronts. I remember thinking <clears throat> nobody had ever had a surgery in my family. Nobody was ever literally, and I mean this, really sick. We would you know, go to the doctor and the kids would be grown three or four years because we just didn't have to have those types of things. No sickness, no surgeries. Everybody was following script. Everybody was serving God. Everybody was busy living, living happily ever after. But what I did not know, and I soon learned, is that life does not turn out like the movies. Now, the reality is this. Nobody's life turns out exactly the way that they planned it to be. There comes a time in life where somewhere, someplace, at some time, life goes off script and plan B just happens. It just, it, it, it does. Brother DeGarmo expressed it so well this morning, and that is that there are things that we bring into our life and I think we have to own up to that, that I'm here, this is my predicament, because I helped create that. And then there are some things that are totally out of our control. We didn't plan it. We didn't see it. We weren't prepared for it. And all of a sudden, there it is. Now, I want to say this to you. Here's the reality. What you do when your life transitions from plan A to plan B is going to determine how far you go for God. Because it's in that transition period when this is what I wanted and this is what I've got. <clears throat> in that transition period when you begin to see those things happening, <clears throat> it's going to determine whether or not you are truly sold out and locked in to what God would have you be as an individual. Now look with me in Hebrews chapter 11 there. Watch this. Verse 33. Let's, let's just go, let's list these things. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promise, 
stop the mouths of lion, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in flight, turn to flight the armies of aliens, women receive their dead to life again. Now let me tell you what those are. Every one of those is a plan A praise. I mean, that's the stuff you want to bring to the fellowship meeting, you know. When you go up and somebody says, how you doing? I said, man, I want to tell you something. We, we turn to flight the armies of aliens. Woo! Everybody's excited. What happened to you last week? Tuesday, I stopped the mouths of lions. I mean, everybody just, this is when life is at its very best. This is when everything is on script. This is when everybody is living the way they should. This is when there are no heartbreaks, no disappointments, no scars, no pain, no wounds. This is plan A living. And boy, this is exciting. This is where we all want to be. And then notice, notice, uh, an entire shift begins in verse 35 in the second part. Watch this. So, so here it is. Women receive their dead to life again. That's awesome. Watch this. Others, oh boy, were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Tortured. Verse 36. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, Jay, uh, bonds and imprisonment, and stoned and sawn asunder and tempted and slain with the sword and wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world's not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens of the... You know that word others means? Let me tell you what that says to you and me. We're not alone. And others, not just you, you see, if we get an Elijah syndrome, we find ourselves under a juniper tree thinking that we're the only ones left that are serving God and the only ones that are going through this. I'm the only one. It's just me. It's just my family. No, no, no. Others. You're not. Listen, your feet are not the only footprints on the dark and difficult and painful path that you may be walking. There are other footprints that are there. Other people have gone before you. Other people will become behind you. You're not the only one hurting. You're not the only one weeping. And others, it's plural. Your pain may be your pain alone, but the journey that you're taking is not, is, is not yours alone. The thing about plan B is it doesn't allow you time to plan for its arrival. You never know when it's coming. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it may be in a few years ago you're at a wedding staring in to the eyes of the person you loved, and now you're staring in those same eyes at a divorce court. And if we think that just happens in the world, we're absolutely deceiving ourselves. I'm talking about good people in good churches that love God and have a heart for God, and yet things happen in life, and, 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 and Satan sees to that, and, and there's, a, there, there's a painful process that people go through. It could be the fact that financial security at one time we had it and now all of a sudden uh, we're, we're falling apart financially. We don't know how to, we're going to plan for our future. Maybe, maybe the love of your life passed away a handful of years ago right when you were set to enjoy the golden years of life and now you're not even sure how you're going to live the days and months ahead of you. Maybe it's a child that breaks your heart and leaves you with feelings of failure and wondering where you went wrong and where it was that, that, that you should have done different. Maybe it was a mate that betrayed you and cheated on you and now you're struggling with thoughts of why wasn't I enough? 
Maybe it's a dad that crushed your heart when he walked out on you and, and left you to figure out life on your own. Maybe it was a loss of a dream job, and now you're stuck in a job going no place fast. Maybe, maybe it was a car wreck that took your mom from you uh, and, and robbed you of the joy of, of, of her being a part of your life. <clears throat> maybe it was a brother that you looked up to, and now he scandalized the family, and, 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 and he's become known for all the wrong reasons. Maybe it's a sister that broke your family's heart. Maybe it's the haunting silence of a sonogram where there had been a heartbeat, and now you're wondering why God allowed that, that precious life within you to be taken from you. Plan B. It's uninvited and unwelcomed and unexpected. It rarely gives advance notice of its coming. It doesn't have the courtesy to ring the doorbell. It just kicks the door in and walks in. Sometimes it's a bad prognosis or a searing pain in your chest. Sometimes it carries the word cancer or diabetes. There are other times it just prefers initials, MS, but it comes in. Sometimes it's ushered in by somebody in the form uh, of a broken heart and an ocean full of tears. It has no invitation. It needs no invitation, and yet it refuses to be shown the door. Sometimes it comes in and leaves quickly. Other times it packs its bags and sets up shop, and you know it's going to be there for a while. Plan B. And I'll tell you the truth of the matter is, if our God is not good in the bad times, then what kind of God is he? If our God is God when plan A is in full swing, but he's not God when plan B steps in, what kind of God do we have? The reality of the matter is we're going to, at some point in our life, have to learn to trust God when things don't go as planned, when they don't go our way, and, 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 and when, when, when all of our well-planned uh, uh, life begins to come unglued a little bit, we're going to have to trust the fact that we have a God that is still in control. Now, let me say first of all this. The goodness of God isn't determined by the circumstances of, of our life. God is good because the Bible said so. You see, the reality of the matter is sometimes we tend to, we tend to determine who God is by what happens in our life. And, 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 and we, we uh, treat God, you know, you know, let, me, let me put it this way. You know what we do? We treat God as though he's a vending machine. You ever used a vending machine? Like you walk up and, and, and you, you know, they've got all these goodies there. Now, anybody that's got any spirituality, when you walk up to a vending machine, you're after one thing, Butterfinger, okay? That's just clear. <laughs> Why else are you there? In fact, they should have Butterfinger in all of them. But here you walk up and, and you, you know, Butterfinger's F1. You put your money in and you press F1. You know what you're expecting? Butterfinger to come out. Now, when you press F1 and Snickers comes out, there's problems, okay? There's problems. I'm hiring a hitman. I'm going to find out who runs this machine. Dude, you've got your whole number mixed up in there. Have you ever put, you ever put your money in a, in a vending machine and you press it and the little thing goes and stops and your butterfinger's hanging there and you're just staring at it through that glass and you look around. No, you're shaking Your elbow had tried to get the butterfinger, reach your hand up in there trying to grab... Grab the, you know what we do to God? We go to God and we press F1. Yep, that's right. You're right. It's what I want. This is what I ordered. 
This, this is what I need. No, no, God, I, look, I know what I want. I know what I want. I, this is, I want F1. And you press F1, and you step back and fold your arms, and you're waiting on our heavenly vending machine kick out to us the things that we want in life. And God doesn't do that. God knows better than we know. God doesn't respond to our code just the way the machine does. And I, you know what? we got a pretty inflated opinion of ourselves sometimes. I, I think we have to be honest about that. If we think, let, let, me just, let me use me. If Dean thinks that the goodness of God hinges on what happens to Dean, I've got a pretty big inflated opinion of Dean. If God's entire reputation hinges on how good my life goes, who am I? David said in Psalm 30, uh, 27, verse 13 and 14, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. God's good because the Bible said God is good. Psalm 107, verse 8, 15, 21, and 31 all say this. Oh, that men would praise the Lord <clears throat> for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Here's the question. Can we praise him in the storm? Can God trust us with plan B? Can God allow things in our life that aren't exactly the way that we want them, that our life turns out in a manner that's not, that, that's not perfectly ours? Can we still trust God in the hard times? The goodness of God isn't determined by the circumstances of our life. Second thing I want you to notice is this, and that is that bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. good people. Good people have health problems. You know, I'm always amazed at faith healers as they talk about faith healing, you know, and they're, they're, they're just preaching up a storm. And while they do that, they're adjusting their glasses. I'm like, dude, heal thyself. You know what I'm saying? Heal yourself. I mean, if it, get rid of your glasses. I hate glasses, you know what I'm saying? So if I was a faith healer, first thing it would go, I got LASIK just because I hated glasses, you know. And I could wear sunglasses, a little cool looking. But anyhow, let's move on from that. <laughs> Bad things happen to good people. The reality of the matter, the list, they were tortured. <clears throat> they were in bonds and in prison. They were stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and, and goatskins. And, and they were destitute and afflicted and tormented. None of, none of those things are things we want. Let's say that next Sunday, Pastor Brooks comes back and he says, Guys, guess what? We've got a sign-up sheet right out there. It's not about the men's father-son camp out. It's not about any of that. Not about those going to camp. We've got a sign-up sheet. I want you to put your name on that if you want plan B. Tortured, tormented, destitute, wandered about in the badlands. You know what I'm talking about? Just, I mean, listen... Everything bad that can happen is going to be on plan B. If you want to be a part of that, sign your name on that. Nobody's going to sign that sheet. Nobody's signing that. We want our names on plan A. But, but, but the reality of the matter is simply this. The, the people, bad things happen to good people. The people that are listed in this, they're, they're good people who love God and serve God, and yet all of these things happen to them. When you go home, open your Bible to the book of Job and read chapter 3. Son, you want to talk about, you want to talk about pain? 
Job chapter 3 is the rawest chapter in all of the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, coming from, from, from a man. And, and, and you wonder why these guys, they sat with him, and, 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 and they were, the Bible calls them friends. They were friends. They identified with him. Job was the best man. He was a leader. He was a spiritual giant. And, and they're sitting there with him, just, just, just trying to connect with him over his pain and all the loss that he had. And then all of a sudden, in chapter number 3, if I could just say it this way, Job began to regurgitate his emotions. Man, that's a raw chapter. Job is just, he is just spilling out his, his anguish and his pain. And, 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 and it's, 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 just such a, it's just such a raw, raw thing, the story of Job. Can I, can I tell you that sort of disproves the, the guilt-ridden theory that we hear so many times that if something bad happened to you, it's because God wasn't really pleased with you. No, Daniel was in the lion's den because he obeyed God. The three Hebrew children were in the furnace because they obeyed God. The disciples were in the midst of the storm because Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. So, so the book of Job itself, and there's so many other illustrations that disprove the fact that if, if, if you're having hard things happen to you, it's because you're not serving God. That's not true at all. Did you know this? It could very well be that God is complimenting you. He's trusting you with something that he could not trust other people with. Some of the best people I've ever known in my life have been people that have carried burdens that I'm not sure that I could carry myself. But they were a living testimony of God's goodness and God's grace. I want to remind you, I want to remind you, dear friend, that God took upon himself on Calvary's tree the guilt and the payment for my sin. And so I don't ever have to worry about him placing that on me on this earth. Let me say, third of all, God doesn't cause every trial, but he can work in every trial. Sometimes we feel like God's doing something to us. Can I remind you, listen. Let me help you with this. The foreknowledge of God is not causative. Okay? The foreknowledge of God isn't causative. I may know that as soon as this service is over, you know, Brother Long is going to slap Brother DeGarmo. I may know that. I've heard it. It's sure. I can see the anger in his face. Brother DeGarmo's, he's ready. And so this is, this is going to be bad. I know it's going to happen, but because I know it doesn't mean I caused it. God the Father knows everything. But because God has foreknowledge doesn't mean it's causative. It doesn't mean that he causes it to happen. <clears throat> and the reality of the matter is that God knows about our trials. I, I, I counseled with a lady years ago in North Georgia. I was preaching a revival, and, and the pastor came to me and said, Would you visit a lady? She, her daughter was killed in, a, in, a, in an accident. A drunk driver hit her and killed her, and, and she hasn't been to church in years. So I went to her house and I sat down and she in anger began to tell me. She said, every pastor I talked to told me it was God's will for my daughter to die. That it was God's will. If that would have been God's will, it wouldn't have happened. And she said, why would I go to church with a heavenly father who willed my daughter's death? And I said, I'm here to tell you, it was not God's will for your daughter to die. And she said, it wasn't. I said, absolutely not. If it was God's will for the daughter to die, it would have been God's will for the, for the booze to be brewed. For the liquor store to be open, for the bartender to serve the drink, for the driver to drink the drink and get drunk and get on the highway and drive drunk. And no, 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 we better be careful what we say. You know what I'm saying? You better not blame God for things that God doesn't want any blame for. 
The reality of the matter, the reality of the matter, dear friend, is that God doesn't cause all of our problems. God gave man a perfect world. I've never seen the day and age like we're living in right now where God gets blamed for everything. Why would a holy God do? Let me tell you what a holy God did. God gave man a perfect world, and we blew it. And by the way, I'm not just a sinner by birth. I'm a sinner by choice. So while I can point the finger back to Adam, I make my own choices too. And the reality of the matter is this world is where we are because not because of, of some flaw in God. It's the flaw in man. But God gets blamed for absolutely everything that happens in this world. Uh, let, me tell you, let me tell you this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called, are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. I'm glad that doesn't say, brother, first, that, that, that we know that, that, that all things are good. No, they work together for good. Does it mean that it's a good thing that, that somebody dies that we love or, or that, that we suffer health problems? Or so? Does it mean that that's good? What it means is that only God can take something as difficult and heartbreaking and as bad and disappointing as that and get something good out of it. That shows the greatness of our God. I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know what struggles you have in your life. I don't know how broken you are, but you've got two choices. You can give it to God and let God make something better out of it, or you can keep it yourself and become bitter about it. We live, we live so many times in the past. That's why it's called the past, because it should be past. And I find people that are victimized today by things that have, you know, I have people say to me, you, you know, I, I went through this struggle at church and I, I just can't go to church and I'm bitter. How long ago did that happen? 20 years. And I said, 20 years? You know about two zero? That happened 20 years ago and you're sitting here. And, 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 and you're allowing that to still control your life and to paralyze you and to stunt your spiritual growth. And you're, you're holding on to that thing the best you can. You've got it tucked away inside and you're not letting anybody get near that because that's your pet pain. No, no, friend, listen to me. We've got to give God our pains and our heartaches and our heartbreaks. We got to let God have control over our plan B life also. It doesn't say that all things are good. It's teaching us that God can take the worst things and somehow miraculously get good out of them. We've got to let God do that. We've got to allow God to do that. Let me say this. There's a difference between living by faith and living by facade. Now, I want you to hear me. Because we have a problem in Christianity. We have a problem in our fundamental Bible-believing independent Baptist churches. You know what that problem is? We, we polish our facades. We have stupid sayings. A kid dies. Our grandson, Josiah. I was working out, getting ready for a triathlon and... and uh, my brother-in-law came in and, and, and said to me, you need to go to the hospital. There's something wrong with Josiah. So I got ready and rushed down to the hospital, and my son brought him in, holding him in a little blanket there. And he said, look, Josiah, Papa's here. And I walked over and wrapped my arm around both of them and kissed his little head. And I said, hey, buddy, 
Papa's with you, man. Everything's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We're praying for you. Papa loves you. And they walk behind those doors that close behind them in the pediatric intensive care unit of, of St. Luke's Hospital in Boise, Idaho. And when those doors closed, I had no idea how, how drastically my life was going to change. It was a malignant brain tumor. In the worst part of the brain, it was inoperable. It was at the worst stage. And there was nothing, literally nothing, that could be done. Nothing. One of the things that our family struggled with was we, as we were just in that valley of death with somebody we loved so dearly, was the, was the fact that Christians somehow feel like they've got to have a slogan. God's, God may pluck him as a, young, as a young bud so that he could bloom in heaven. Well, that's the stupidest thing. Why, would, why does God need my grandson in heaven? Why don't he have, can't God have plenty of flowers in heaven? That, that doesn't even make sense. He's not a flower, he's a human. And there were just little things. So I had to call the family together and say, look, people are saying things because they don't know what to say. Sort of like Peter on the mountain, you know, when, when the Mount of Transfiguration, and not knowing what to say, Peter said. We're a lot like Peter. I don't know what to say. I better say something. <laughs> Doesn't help. You know, sometimes the only thing that really helps is just an arm on the shoulder. Just I'm praying for you. I love you. I'm here for you. Really, there's nothing to say. There's no slogan that, 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 that we can give. And, 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 you know, the idea of sometimes fake it till I make it ought not, ought not be our way. We, and by the way, let me, let me just say this. Listen, Job chapter 3, read it again. Listen, listen, here's what God says to us through Job chapter 3. You don't have to be a fake. Job, Job is literally regurgitating the rawness of what he feels and losing everything he had. All of his children, all of his wealth, every, even his own health. Job is just regurgitating this up. And not one time does God rebuke him. In fact, the Bible said in Job chapter uh, 3, he said Job uh, uh, suffered, but he never, he never sinned, nor did he charge God foolishly. That means that it's okay to be raw. How you doing, brother? Um, blessed be thou God, I loveth and praiseth thee, who the hardesteth of timeth thee. <laughs> well, we, don't, we don't have to do that. If there's any place you ought to be able to come and bleed, it ought to be church. Amen. We ought to weep with each other and, you, you know... Let's keep the Phariseeism out. Let's be real with each other. How you doing? Well, this is not really good right now. And by the way, if somebody's got a lost loved one that's died, by the way, who wrote the book on it? Well, your husband died three, three months ago. It's about time you pull out of that. Who, who, where'd you get that at? Different people, different person. Listen, different dynamics. Nobody wrote the book on it. Everybody has to go through their journey in the way that God would have them go through their journey, and there should be no expectations of it whatsoever, we have, to be, we have to be real. We have to learn to be real. God wants us to be that way. Let me say this, and I'll close, and that's this. 
It's our faith that determines our final report. If, if you read that, verse 39, it goes down through the whole group, and then it says it goes group A, group B, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith. So the reality of the matter is people in plan A, they got to live by faith. People in plan B, they got to live by faith. You, you may, you know, there may not be a tragic death in your family like was in mine. You don't have to have that to serve God. But we did. How are you to live by faith? How does God expect us to live having suffered that by faith? And these all having obtained a good report through faith. It's not, it's not how gifted we are. It's not how talented we are. It's, it's not how eloquent we are. It's how faithful I remain. Holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning shipwreck, uh, concerning faith hath made shipwreck. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 19. After our grandson died, somebody made a statement. And they said this. They said, oh, the Herring family. What a great group of people. Boy, they have just shown such grace and faith through this. We're amazed. When I heard that, as fast as I could get to my pulpit, the next message I said this, let me tell you about the Herring family. If you'll remove God from this, we're angry. We're bitter, we're disillusioned, we're ripped off, we're feeling that life was unfair to us, we're mad at men, and we're mad at God. That's, that's who we are without God's good grace in our life. This isn't about us. This is about what God can do in the life of people that will simply remain faithful. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith. And then he said of that one plan B group, and he only said this about them, of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. You know what he's saying about the world? They don't deserve to walk the same sod as people that have been through the heartaches and trusted me. We live in a bitter world. We do. This is a bitter, disillusioned, messed up world. And it's not the same world it was this time last year. It's changed that rapidly. But can I tell you that God wants us to shine as lights in a world that's disillusioned and bitter and ripped off at God? I had cancer all going on nine years ago. I think this coming up September. I preached a revival at Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Susie and I were to fly home on Thursday, and all of a sudden, my whole life changed. I, I, wound up, I wound up sitting on the floor of an airport with my head in her lap. They had to call 911, pick me up, put me in an ambulance, and rush me to the hospital. I found out that I had cancer through a great loss of blood. They did surgery. They got it all, wasn't any need for any chemo or radiation. I had to have CAT scans for two years, but 
When I came home, I walked into church, and there met me a, a lady in my church by the name of Diana Lafferty. Diana has battled cancer for years. She lived with an abusive husband. She's buried two of her sons. Unbelievable life. When I walked in the door, she was the first one there, and she said, hello, pastor. And then she said this, welcome to the fraternity. <laughs> and I looked her in the face and I said, Diana, I do not want to be a part of this fraternity. And she said, you don't have a choice. It's not a choice we get to make. You're in and I'm in. and We just have to give God glory. Now, I want to tell you something about Diana Lafferty. She's always, always faithful, always smiling. She'll hear my messages sometimes. She can't make it to church because she doesn't feel good enough. And she'll send me a text every Monday morning and say, Pastor, the message I listened to, it was such a blessing. She's always an encouragement. Let me tell you something about Diana Lafferty, of whom the world was not worthy. Amen. Now, this is you and me. This is us, okay? We're, we're zippity doo don through life. We're having a great time, and all of a sudden, plan B comes along. Now, you're going to clothe yourself either in bitterness, victimhood, we're going to whine and cry. God help us that we not be the generation known as whiners. Amen. Not after reading that. Or we're going to clothe ourselves in his grace and his righteousness, and we're going to live for God's glory. Plan A, plan B, doesn't matter. We've got to be faithful. Let's bow our heads. Now, I don't know where you are. I don't know what's happened in your life. You may be here lost. You don't know Christ is your Savior. Can I tell you that Jesus will save you? Well, preacher, I'm, I'm having a tough time in life right now. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. Well, you won't make it through very well unless you come to know the Lord Jesus. And, and he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He'll help you through the hard times. How many of you that are here would say, preacher, pray for me. I don't, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Is there anybody like that at all? Just lift your hand up. I'll pray for you. not going to embarrass you. not going to come to you. How many of you will say, preacher, sometime, someplace, somewhere in my life, I transitioned into plan B. <clears throat> I've had something come in my life. Just lift your hand. Pray for me. Would you do that? All right, good. All over. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray. These altars are open. Would you just come and bring your plan B to the altar and say, Father, help me. Help me. It, it's okay. You say, well, it's, it was 15 years ago, but I'm still hurting. That's all right. Be honest with God. God knows your broken heart. It may be a failed marriage, a wayward child. It may be health. It could be, it could be a number of any things. Preacher, pray for me. I'm, I'm going through something right now that's not what I planned. It's not what I ordered. It's not what I asked for. But I need God's help. I need God's grace to get through it. Come on, people are praying. Around the altar, just let God do His work. Amen. I'm in plan B. It's not what I wanted. 
It's not what I asked for. I'm not even sure how to handle it. But I don't want to become bitter. I don't want to become a victim. I want God to get glory out of my life. We're going to sing a stanza. Go ahead, brother. While these are praying.